Welcome back to the podcast. Which podcast? It's called Love, Life, and Legacy. And it's a podcast all about how to connect your sexuality to your hopes and your dreams and your ideals and the divine to all things that you would want for the future so that we can celebrate together and win this universe back. Sorry, that was a little bit too big. I got possessed for a second there. Um, because I'm really excited. And and everybody always says that online. I'm super excited today, but I genuinely am because I handpicked this next guest. I sought him out online. His name is Garrett Johnson, and he is with Fight the New Drug. And I remember seeing his video, and I was like, wow, this guy looks really cool. Uh, but then he became the host of their new podcast, which is called Consider Before Consuming. And they have celebrity guests like Terry Crews, who's like the coolest guy ever, and Lamar Odom and some other really cool folks. And basically, they're just steamrolling ahead on bringing a healthy conversation around pornography to the fore, to mainstream sexual sanity, let's say. And so I, we got into this episode, you know, with uh, his personal story. We got into his involvement with Fight the New Drug and his own evolution. So you're going to love it. I know you're going to love it. I will give you a million dollars of your own money if you have a million dollars. I'll just steal it and give it back to you if you don't like it. Um, so please get, get, get comfy, get a nice warm or cold or tepid beverage. I don't judge and enjoy this podcast with me because I had a blast doing it and I know you're going to love listening to it. All right, guys, welcome to the podcast. Uh, we have a real person here, which is why I'm smiling because normally it's Sammy or I or, you know, a bunch of people that we know better than, than this, but I'm just meeting him for the first time and he's a really cool guy. So I'm going to try to keep my stuff together here. Um, his name is Garrett Johnson and he has a very confusing spelling of, of his name. It, there's like probably a million variations that you could, you know, attempt. But I contacted him because I knew of him from before, from watching Fight the New Drug videos about him crossing the country in a very dramatic fashion on a bicycle with chains. Uh, and we can get into that. Um, but then he was tasked with their podcast, which is you know, it's so cool because it's Fight the New Drug is so good at mainstreaming this 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 conversation about pornography and they're even getting celebrities into the conversation. It's so cool, getting access to some really important figures. And he's 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 the head honcho, he's the jefe of the whole thing. Uh no, not really. But he kind of is, he's the voice of it. Anyway, he's being humble. You can't see it, but he he's being humble right now. Um and he's out in uh Utah where we're, uh, and I'm in the jungle still, everybody. Um, but the reason I really wanted to get him on is because um, when you see somebody standing up against the tide and doing it uh, with dignity, then you got to pay note. And when they're consistent, then you really got to take notes. And uh, I've, been, I've been watching this guy for a while and I was surprised to, to see that uh, he was accessible and that I could get him on this podcast. So um, we're going to dig deep into himself and we're going to get into his story and also what he's been up to because like always fight the new drug is kicking off some really good sand and uh this podcast is is a great asset and so please without that's kind of a long intro but you deserve it no i just welcome garrett 
Well, thanks for the intro. I just want to say right off the bat that I'm definitely not the head honcho. Um, okay. And um, the reason why I say that is because it's just the truth. I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, uh, you know, I, I do host the podcast to fight the new drug. And so I'm one of the fighters, but we have okay. over 5 million fighters around the world. And, um, we have on our team of fight the new drug, we have, you know, 12 employees that work with fight the new drug and everything we do really, I look at it as a team effort, even yeah. though we kind of each have our roles. And, but I just, I think if I were to put out a podcast personally, um, there would probably be like 12 downloads and two of them would be from my parents, <laughs> you know? So yeah. I don't and they'd think be I'm criticizing the- you the whole time. I didn't like how you interviewed <laughs> that person. <laughs> yeah. So no, I, um, I just wanted to clarify that, but also we just want to, we have fight the new drug. We want to thank you for the opportunity to be on the podcast. So yeah, we're excited to be here today. Yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. We are sent, uh, you know, High Noon is just a small group of core staff and then a crap load of volunteers around the world. And, but it's just because, you know, we're the face, you know, th- that people see a lot. So you're the voice that people hear right. a lot that, you know, is important because, you know, you're the voice of many. But so I just want to acknowledge that. Yeah, I think sure. we're, we're doing this Canadian chess game where we're out politing <laughs> each other. Right? Oh, you're <laughs> I love Canada, by the way. You're from Canada. You're yeah, from Toronto. Yeah. I mean, Utah is like a mini Canada. It's like a satellite Canada. Come on. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's <laughs> anyway, funny. so you're a cool dude. I'm a cool dude. And we're a couple of bros, right? With our own stories. For sure. Um, everybody in our, you know, who listens to our podcast definitely knows Sammy and my story. But I'd love to get to know your story and why this whole topic of pornography matters to you, right? Um, and get into you know, when you were first exposed, let's start at the beginning of your journey with, with pornography and then we'll go in chronological order. So how, how yeah. were you exposed to porn? What was the scenario? It's interesting because when I did a video with Fight the New Drug, maybe five years ago, um, I said in the video that my first time exposure was at age nine, but now it was back in 2016 when that when I said that. Fast forward to 2020, and um, I now know that my first time exposure was around the age of five. Wow. And so okay. it was a weird thing that I, I'm trying to still understand why I repressed those memories. I don't know exactly why. I've never really attended. I've only attended one true therapy session in my life. And okay. so um, I've never dug at that, maybe like I should have or should. But yeah, so the first time exposure was at around the age of five. And crazy. I, to give some context, I was born in 1986. Um, first time exposure around the age of five. And the exposures after that um, were. Was it a, sorry, we're talking about 1989, 1990s. So we're talking magazines or. My first exposure was through television. Oh, okay. Yeah. And. Um, I saw it with a friend and I remembered that that friend's parents didn't want them to play with me anymore. And my parents told me that, and I never really got an explanation as to why, but we were best friends. And so we kind of had to go our separate ways, which was kind of a weird, I'm still trying to figure it out. And I don't know all the details and I've never actually brought this up to my parents or to this best friend that I that I had that I can still, I still consider a friend today. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that had something to do with it, but anyway, so maybe that's why I repressed it. 
because it was emotional time for me to lose my best friend at the time. And I wonder if I made that connection somehow, but yeah. So age very young, first time exposure. And I remember feeling confused when on my first time exposure, if I had to put it to one word, it would be confusion. I didn't exactly know if I enjoyed it or not. It was more just like, it was very un, it was my first time, you know, experiencing that. So confusion is a good way to explain that. Um, and then my exposure happened gradually. Maybe two years later, I saw pornography again. My cousin brought a Playboy magazine over. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, sneaking that into the bathroom to look at that. Um, and then I remember through elementary and like second, third, um, fourth, fifth grade, you know, there was various times where I would be exposed to it or seek it out. Mm. Um, but it wasn't very frequent at all, but I do remember being super stoked when I was able to see it, you know, at, after that first time, the first time was confusion, but I remember with the, my cousin and then I played sports growing up and with my football buddies, there were several times when I sought it out or I was showed pornography and I was stoked about it. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I hear that. That's very common, right? Yeah. The best friend that's wow. Um, a lot, a lot there. So when you remembered back initially back in 2016, like you didn't remember the instance of when you were five, like that whole thing was foggy and then you just regained access to it later. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I read a book called the body keeps the score. So between 2016 and and now I've read that book, the body keeps the score. And that talks about how your body keeps the score. Everything that happens to you traumas that you have in your life, your body holds on to that and your body's changed. It keeps the score. And so, um, yeah, I think that reading that book, I think helped me remember, which is kind of a weird thing. Cause I think as I was reading, that's when I first, that's when I realized like, actually it was, it was way younger than nine years old. So yeah. And my, uh, my pornography consumption progressed pretty gradually, very, very gradually actually, where, it was something that, like I mentioned, uh, the instances already that I've mentioned, but then going forward, it was something where in high school, um, I would seek out pornography and it got to the point where it would be weekly and then I would seek it out a couple times a week. But I didn't really think it was that problematic. Um, sure. I think the first time that I can remember thinking that it was problematic was there was one time at age 12 when it was the first time that I saw like pornography that included penetration and it was a little bit aggressive. And I remember that I didn't enjoy that aggression that was happening in that scene. And so I remember looking back on that particular instance, that was a moment where I was like, wow, like this isn't, I don't enjoy this. This is not um, okay. um, That aggression. But other than that, I didn't really, um, see it as problematic. I think through my teens, it was all impulsive um, and maybe creating a habit of some sort. But when I say impulsive, I just mean that it was, I was making these decisions. I was seeking it out because I was stoked about it. Just like 98% of my friends were stoked about it. And we didn't think about any potent, potential consequences. It was sure. just, there was no forethought. It was just here and now. And, um, so yeah. Got it. And so and, when did that creep in? Because I mean, for most people, 
that's the continuum of their entire sexual existence is like, yeah, what's the big deal, right? And then, but there's some sort of interruption in this pattern for you, right? So yeah, when did that graduate from being a, a, just a casual thing that you get stoked on to what is this, why I don't like it or what, what, what yeah. was it? What was the graduation? Um, for me, it was access, ease of access, privacy, and... Um, so like in 2007, when I got the first, when I got the first, my first iPhone. Okay. Um, that was when they first came out. Yeah. Well, you were the cool kid, huh? I don't know if I was a cool kid, but I had an <laughs> iPhone. And so the, I think for me, that's when it started to change because of the ease of access and because of the ease of privacy. Got it. Um, that's when it started to, the frequency increased in, in, in a very easy way. Um, Another thing that's interesting for me to look at is my sex education. Okay. Because I know that at Fight the New Drug, we don't talk about sex education. Um, we, at Fight the New Drug, we just talk about the harmful effects of pornography. But I think when it comes to my personal account, it could be important to kind of realize where I got my education about sex and sexuality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because where did I get it? Looking back, my parents did, our great parents, they're the salt of the earth, you know, but they didn't have many conversations with me about, about sex or sexuality or what healthy sex is. And so if I look at my education about sex, I think about because I played sports, I learned stuff in the locker room. Yeah. Um, thinking about movies that were popular at the time, American yeah. Pie, yeah. Um, Varsity Blues. Um, <laughs> you know, you think about like, because technology has come so far that maybe some of your listeners might not even rem- remember this or know this, but you think yeah. about like infomercials, like you stay up late and you see infomercials about like girls gone wild. Yeah. Right? And so oh, you're learning yeah, about yeah. sexuality through all these different things. Another area that I learned about sexuality was through the man show. I don't know if you remember this, but it was with Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah. Jimmy Kimmel and Adam Carolla. I remember yeah. that. Who's like a hyper conservative now? I think he, they, they kind of went in divergent paths. Right. Very interesting. Yeah. So you look at the man show and they just straight up objectify women, you know, yeah. the girls jumping on trampolines kind of thing. And so um, looking about all these places where I got my sex education, it's like there's some problems there because all of the areas where I kind of learned about sexuality aren't the healthiest places to learn about it. Sure. Um, you had to piece it together on your own, right? Because there was no conversation happening. So you filled that gap with whatever information was coming your way, which was the idiots in the locker room and the idiots on the TV box. (laughs) Right. Yep. Or Eminem, you know, music, Jay-Z, all these different places. So, and then the pornography I was consuming. So um, that's where I got my sex education. Now going to when I got the iPhone and... um, can I just stop for one second and, and ask, uh, did based on the absence of conversation about sex in particular, but based on the character and nature of your parents and how you were raised, did it feel like you were doing something inherently wrong or did you even question it? Just it, Did it just get past your radar entirely, like your moral radar or was there, there? Was it sticking somewhere? Like I probably shouldn't be doing this, but I just don't care that much. Or like, where were you on the kind of gradient, you know, detection level of whether whether it was? I think at that age, wrong. I think at that age, your friends have a big influence on you, uh-huh. and um, obviously your parents do as well. I was raised in a household where 
I was taught to treat women with respect. And so I think that's maybe one reason why at age 12, when I saw that pornography that had the aggressive scene that made me uncomfortable, I think that's probably one reason why I was like, oh, wow, like this is what that is and this is what it can be. And I was like, ah, I don't like that. I don't like that aggression towards women. Um, But then if you look at what my friends were teaching me and what I was teaching my friends, it was like, this is, it's fine. It's okay. You watch these movies of teens in junior high and high school. And it's like, this is what part, that's part of junior high and high school and college is this, um, is, and so I think for me, I didn't, there was only one friend that wasn't consuming pornography in my group of one person that I knew that spoke, spoke out actively against looking at pornography mm-hmm. amongst our group. Just one person. I'm um, everyone else, received, by the way, what was that? How was that received by the rest oh, you of your know, peers? We looked up to this kid because he was kind of the goofball, but he was also like the smartest kid in our group. Um, Got it. He's gone on to be very successful. He was always getting 4.0 on his, you know, his GPA was really high. He's getting scholarships, academic scholarships. He's an athlete. Um, he's really funny. So we looked up to him and um, we didn't think much of it. We didn't make fun of him for it, but we were just like, well, that's you, man, but we're going to, we're going to look at it. <laughs> so um, yeah, I don't think, I didn't think, I didn't see much, I don't see, I didn't see a problem with pornography. Um, Got it. At, at my, which at that led age. you to your iPhone and which, uh, you know, things started spiraling and you started frequency elevated. So then, uh, then at what point did, were you like, whoa, what's going on? And I on just got to say, maybe subconsciously I did. Maybe subconsciously I knew that there was something wrong with it because I wasn't having open conversations with my parents about it. Yeah. So maybe there was a subconscious feeling there of that it wasn't okay. But going to your question, um, to... So it progressed once I got the ease of access and I, I met my, my wife at the time we dated and I didn't talk to her about my pornography consumption and we got married later on and she didn't know about my pornography consumption. Um, as we were dating and during the first period of marriage, I didn't consume pornography. Um, and I can't say that I didn't at all, but I remember that there was a drastic reduction in consumption. Sure. And so, but I didn't talk to her about previous usage or consumption. So, um, I go into the marriage thinking that I've, I've been determined like, okay, I've tried to stop again and again and again and again and again and again and again, because the reason why I was trying to stop in my early twenties was because when I got ease of access, I started to see more and more aggressive and violent pornography as I searched for what I wanted. My, my por- pornography consumption definitely escalated. It, my, my pattern was more, more often and a more specific version. So everyone's consumption is different. Some people go for more, more often and a more hardcore version. Mine was more specific. So I would have to look for this particular scene that I wanted to consume to get this, the same level of dopamine in my brain, you know? So yeah. that's how it went for me. And as I was searching for that particular scene... I would come across more and more violent and aggressive pornography. And that's one thing that drove me to be like, actually, I don't know if I should be navigating on these sites. And that's another reason why I started realizing like this could be problematic was the increased frequency, um, the deceit that it introduced into certain relationships and, um, and that violence that I was seeing. So I stopped, I tried to stop again and again and again, and I would always turn back, you know, and I felt like the urge to consume pornography was stronger than my will 
to not consume pornography. And going to my marriage with my wife, we went through six years of marriage without her knowing about my consumption of pornography. And so that is evidence showing the ease of access and the ease of privacy because, you know, we had a great relationship at that time. I love and loved my wife. I feel like we were happy then and we're happy now. And um, obviously we don't have a perfect relationship, but I'd say that it was a great relationship even during the times when I was consuming it. Yeah. Um, But I think that it, that deceit, the fact that I was hiding that from her, I thought that I could do that and do that forever um, without it affecting me and having a negative impact. But I soon found out that that wasn't true, that there is definitely, there's always a negative impact when it comes to deceit. So, yeah. And so what, what was that? When did, when the house of cards come crashing down? You know, my house of cards, like she didn't catch me, right? I could have, I probably could have continued looking at porn in secret for probably ever. Um, But what happened, the reason why I decided to tell the truth was because I heard a presentation by fight the new drug. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, I didn't intend on hearing that. I had no clue who fight the new drug was. Yeah. Um, And my wife is a coach at a high school. And so fight the new drug was doing a community event at their high school. And my wife and I share one car and I ride my bike everywhere. And but this particular night, I went to go pick my wife up from work with the car. So I drive to the high school. And as I'm waiting for my wife, this presentation is happening at the high school. It's a community event. So I sit down and watch this event. And it's my first time learning about Fight the New Drug. Ariel, my wife, she finishes her work and she comes and sits with me. And we watched like 45 minutes of this presentation. Mm. And at this point, she still has no clue that I'm consuming pornography. And as I'm watching the presentation, it's resonating with me because of my experience. Um, And so I got the, that's what gave me the courage to tell the truth. Finally was the education because I realized that I wasn't the only one with a compulsive behavior to pornography, um, that I wasn't the only one with this challenge. And so it gave me courage to be like, okay, like nothing's wrong with me personally, it's just uh, the pornography is what is causing the problem for me. So um, I told my wife the truth. We, we were sitting in bed. So a couple of weeks after that presentation, um, we were sitting in bed, laying in bed. And I'm kind of an annoying person to sleep with at the very beginning of the sleep session because I have to get in like this perfect position, right? I have to be <laughs> on my stomach and I have to have a pillow underneath my hip and like a pillow um, underneath my feet. And it's like, it's like I use three pillows and I sleep in the same position. And so I get, I'm like the annoying one trying to get in this perfect position. But this particular night, I was just laying on my back and looking at the ceiling and it was dark and Ariel obviously really soon recognizes that something's up, you know? And so I, I have a few minutes to get the courage to tell the truth. And she was wondering like what I was going to tell her. So well, this wasn't the best approach, like yeah. for those listening, like laying in bed in the dark, maybe not isn't the best approach to telling your significant other because she's just <laughs> playing these guessing games of what I did, you know? Yeah. So anyway, I told her the truth and then we wanted to like long story short, we wanted to do something about it. We wanted to do our part because also my wife was never very educated on the 
harmful effects of pornography or on healthy sexuality. So we were in a similar boat there. Um, my wife, she's never seen pornography, which is kind of a rare thing. Yeah. So we're different in that way, but we're similar in, in regards to our, our, our lack of sexual education and around the harmful effects of pornography. So yeah, we were, we wanted to make a difference. We wanted to do our part to build awareness. And so we decided to do a couple projects. So yeah, that's where we sit right now. Um, well, so how, I mean, how did she take it? Like, uh, because we have, that's always a common question. I just gave a presentation to a group of people out here uh, online. Uh, and, you know, both always comes from parents and children. Like, how do I broach this topic? What happens if they decapitate me after I tell them? You know, like there's always that the fear, that's the biggest looming thing that anybody has is what happens when I tell them, you know? Yeah. So you, you were sitting, it's interesting. You said, you know, a couple of weeks later, so you were sitting in this presentation, probably squirming in your seat, probably trying to observe how, how many beads of sweat are going <laughs> off the side of your brow. Like, does she know? Can she tell? Because I give these presentations and I can tell when somebody's experiencing the, that, that kind of yeah. process. And so you're sitting there squirming, then it takes you two weeks and then it just becomes unbearable to the point where you can't even get into your bionic sleep position with pillows and <laughs> pillow men. So right. like, uh, can you just take us through those two weeks of like, uh, as much as you can, uh, like what, what brought you to the point where you had to tell her and then how did she take that? Yeah, I think the... I started to realize that there were three things that pornography was creating inside me and perpetuating inside me. And it was arrogance, deceit, and resentments. Whoa. And so... You, you realized that in those two weeks? Yeah. And even throughout this five-year period, since I've okay. told the truth, I've also realized that. Okay. And looking back during those times, yeah, I mean, I, it created resentments. I had resentments towards my partner towards Ariel. I had resentments towards pornography. Um, I had resentment toward myself and then arrogance. I thought that my, I thought that I was more important than my wife. And I didn't, I didn't, I would have never verbalized that. And I feel like I treated my wife with respect, but I think sometimes my actions spoke louder than my words and that I, I did think that my, that I was more important because there was times when we would, so I was taught because of my sexual education through pornography and other sources, um, that when I wanted to consume pornography, it was there. You know, there was no partner involved. There was no other person involved. Sure. And so I think that uh, crept into our relationship where when I was in the mood, she should be too. Sure. And that was just arrogance. And then, um, so resentments, arrogance and um deceit deceit yeah i mean i thought honestly i mean i wasn't telling the full truth and so i thought that i could live life that way and eventually it just started to eat at me because i didn't feel authentic and i did feel and i did notice that it was affecting me not only in that particular area but that pornography my consumption habits would have negative impacts in other areas of my life. Sure. So the deceit, the resentments, the arrogance, they led me to tell the truth. I got to the point where 
I respected and understood that my wife could potentially leave me if that's what she decided was best for her. And so I had to accept that. And that was a very scary thing to accept. I I didn't want to tell my wife because I loved her and I love her. And so that's a weird thing because I'm deceiving, I'm lying because I love her, which is such a not okay thing, right? (laughs) And so, um, yeah, so finally I just told her the truth, accepting that she could decide that she didn't want to be with me anymore. Wow. So you had, you, you, you kind of, you had reached this state where you had kind of given up on trying to manipulate the outcome and you just said, this is, this is me. And you just kind of came forth and whatever happens, happens. Yeah. That's pretty bold. That's pretty bold. And then how did she, how did she respond? How did she take that? She is busy. We, at the time we had two kids and, um, she was very busy. She worked a lot. Um, she also helps with the kids a ton. And so she had a lot of on her plate at the time. And so I think that she turned to those things to keep her mind busy. Um, I don't think she was ready to address this in any other way. That was the way she just chose to do it. And I wish she were here to kind of answer how she felt at that time because it's kind of her job. But <laughs> um, yeah, she, I think she just wanted to occupy her time and thoughts with other things and push this concern to the back burner. So she didn't freak out on me. Um, or she, like, she wasn't really even angry. There was no anger towards me, but there was an awkwardness for the next couple weeks where okay. we wouldn't talk about it. So it was the elephant in the room kind of thing. And we continued about our lives. And then finally, I asked my wife, like, do we want to talk about this more? And so we started other conversations about it. But yeah, that's how it went for us. And the thing, the scary part is that you just never know how it's going to go because there's two individuals involved. So Sure, sure. But then you said the next step was you got educated together. So obviously, eventually you had that second conversation and then you decided to, did, did you educate kind of in tandem? Like let's do this hand in hand or yeah, was it more so kind of one we, leading the other? We ended up going to therapy. I mentioned that I've been to one therapy session and that was okay. a couple's therapy session. And okay. so we went to that and we ended up, you know, how therapy can go. It can open, you're opening up wounds, right? And you're discussing this. So it's not the most comfortable thing. Sure. And so at the time we thought that therapy would be more instantaneous, like the relief or the help or the, the benefits would be more instantaneous. And so after we left that first session, we got into an argument and <laughs> we never went back to therapy, that type of therapy, right? Like sure. the Orthodox therapy. But um, so we started conversations the together and, we started talking about it. We started figuring out like, and we were just curious why neither of us had had meaningful conversations about the harmful effects of pornography. And we came to the conclusion that we wanted to do our part to build awareness. And so I was about to turn 30 years old and I've done several events, uh, endurance events in my life. And there's some pretty kind of uncommon ones that a lot of people haven't done. And I've finished them. 
And so I'm not fast at all, but I've finished every endurance event that I've started. I've, I've finished it. So I've done, you know, I've done like the marathon and then I did an I a full Ironman. And then I wow. did, I ran a 100 mile endurance, um, like an ultra marathon wow. through the mountains. It's called the Wasatch 100. It took me 35 hours and I finished. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, and then I biked from Vancouver, Canada to the bottom of Washington and so I've just done some endurance events and I wanted to use that talent of endurance events. My wife has also done an Ironman and some other things. So um, we both were kind of on board there and I wanted to use those talents to build awareness somehow. So I was turning 30 years old about the time when I decided to do these projects. And so I was like, I'm going to incorporate that talent. And so I did 30 marathons in 30 days wearing handcuffs. And so I, that's the project that I came up with. Like, how can I build awareness? It was 30 and 30 in handcuffs. So I presented this idea to my wife and she's like, sure, like <laughs> this is what we want to do. So um, I quit my job and I did 30 marathons in 30 days wearing handcuffs. And um, Crazy. it was the, it was terrible. It was not fun. And um, the whole goal was to build awareness but yeah. for the first 26 marathons, I didn't get the attention to the cause that I wanted. Um, okay. But my by marathon 26, um, there was some more good attention towards the cause. And so I was stoked about that. And um, after that project, I decided to do another project um, called the so Coast to Coast and Chains. So for the first 26 marathons, people just thought you were an escaped convict. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And did like, you like sign up for there just happened to be sequential marathons every day for 30 days or you were running like no, so the equivalent I started, of a marathon on your own? Yeah, I just ran a, a 26.2 miles on my own. Um, and I did what's called Substitute Saturday. And so I had a lot of support, um, but just not the amount of attention to the cause that I wanted, you know, at first. Got it. But I had so what's called Substitute Saturday, so people can run for me uh, using hashtags so they can do that virtually, or also they would come and run with me physically. And so every Saturday, I wouldn't have to run a marathon because people were running those miles for me. And I yeah. thought that there was cool symbolism there because it's like we need each other, right? Sure. We can't sure, do sure. this by ourselves. And so that community definitely helped me. So actually, technically, I didn't run 30 marathons. I ran you know, like 25 marathons. So slacker, you lazy (laughs) fat. So, uh, no, that's, that's incredible. And so who started paying attention at, at 26? Like where, where was this attention coming from? Um, so at the time I didn't even work, I didn't work with fight the new drug. I had never met anyone from fight the new drug. I was just pushing all of the attention to fight the new drug because that's where I got my education from. Sure. And so, um, fight the new drug didn't know that I was doing this project until late into the project, even though I was posting and reaching out to them, you know, they have a lot of followers. And so sure. somehow I got swept under the, the rug. It didn't get noticed. Um, but yeah, we were able to contact some news outlets and through social media. Um, we reached out to Terry Cruz. I reached out to Terry Cruz via Instagram and I was like, Hey, I'm doing this. And it was interesting because as I was doing the 30 marathons, Terry Crews came out on Facebook and talked about his challenge with pornography. So then people were messaging me and they're like, Hey, like, I know you're doing this 30 marathon and 30 day thing. Terry Crews just came out 
and talked about his challenge. So that at marathon, like 26, I reached out to Terry and I was like, Hey, this is a long shot, but I would love for you to support this 30 and 30 thing and do substitute Saturday for me. Like go run on a Saturday and post about it. And so he's like, yeah, for sure. He responded, you know, very unlikely, but he responded and he's like, yeah, I'll do that for sure. So we post with his son. He went, him and his son went out and ran on track and posted about it. And, um, yeah. So after that, I wanted to do another project, um, to build more awareness. And so I'm like, I already quit my job. Might as well take advantage of this time when I don't have that obligation. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I decided to do coast to coast in chains and ride my bicycle from, uh, Virginia to San Francisco. So, wow. I know that's awesome. And, and that, how long did that take? First of all, how many, the coast to coast. Yeah. Yeah. It took 56 days. 56 days. Wow. Yeah. So, and so fight the new drug knew about that, right? Because that, that got documented. Yeah. So what happened on that one was I still had no relationship really with fight the new drug at marathon 26. I contacted fight the new drug, reached out to me and um, we, we interacted a little bit, but I didn't have much of a relationship with fight the new drug. Mm. And so when I presented this new idea, this coast to coast, first I presented it to my partner, to Ariel, and she was like, you got to do it. That was her first response, <laughs> which was kind of unusual because it's like, which, like what wife, what partner says, yeah, like go be unemployed for 60 days and ride your bike across the United States kind of thing. Yeah. And I got the kids, by the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So she, yeah, I don't know. I still, to this day, I don't know exactly how or why we did this. Um but I think the the goal was just to bring attention to the cause. Sure. Um, but yeah, going back to your question about documenting coast to coast, um, my friend, my good friend, Austin Haywood, he has parents, his parents live in West Virginia and he happened to be in West Virginia the day that I flew out to Virginia. And so I got my bike, I packaged it up, sent it to Virginia on an airplane with me. And he met me in Virginia, I guess. It was pretty close to where he was at. And so um, that first, like the footage you see on the video, the fight the new drug has produced. Yeah. yeah that yeah. footage is from Austin, from my friend, Austin. He, okay. you know, that's why it looks professional is because he's a videographer. Wow. Um, and then you'll notice that the footage throughout me writing from Virginia to San Francisco is me with a cell phone. Yeah. 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 So I did the project. I mean, I had lots of support at home, but I was the only one out there. I didn't have a crew and um, no one was out there filming me. So the, the footage, yeah, it's, it was a, it was a crazy, it was like being homeless, you know, for 56 days. I didn't, my wife and I don't have a significant amount of money that I'm just staying in hotels when I want and things like that. You know, we had bills to pay and a mortgage to pay. Um, And so, you know, I was camping and I had what's called a bivy. And a bivy is like a small tent. It's like the size of a sleeping bag. You just zip yourself up inside of it and you can sleep wherever it's waterproof. And so mm-hmm. when I would roll into a new town, as I crossed the United States, I would be like, okay, where am I going to sleep tonight? I have to find a place to sleep, a place to camp. <laughs> so I slept all over. I slept on people's trampolines. Um, I would meet people wow. in a restaurant and um, they would ask what I'm doing, you know, cause I have a big bike with all this gear on it. And um, I would end up sleeping on their trampoline. I slept on the grass at the post office. I slept in the trees, like in the woods, um, you know, wow. wherever I could. So 
Living the it dream. It was a wild thing. <laughs> That's really cool. And then, but that, that entire time where you like razor sharp, um, you know exactly why you're doing it and you did it with total conviction and no, no, because if you think about what I did, it's very uncommon. You know, I had two kids, so people were like, you're an idiot. Like, why are you <laughs> leaving your kids? You know, oh my God. Um, you're yeah. wasting time. And why are you leaving your kids and why are you putting this burden? Like you've already talked about how you looked at pornography behind your wife's back and now you're leaving her with two kids. Like you're an idiot. And if you think about her parents, like how challenging it would be to support us when your daughter's husband is leaving to do these nonsense, this, this nonsense. It was, it was stupid to be honest in their, in their eyes. But to my, and I totally understand why they thought that. I think that yeah. if my little girl had a husband that was doing this, I would have a very hard time supporting it 100%. Sure, um, sure, sure. I would be very skeptical. But my wife and I were both on the same page. And before I left, my wife said, the only thing, Garrett, like as you start this project, the only thing is you cannot quit. You cannot come home early, no matter what. And so I had various people, several people throughout this journey call me. And say, Garrett, like when you're ready to come home, I'll come get you. Like when you want to quit, I'll come get you because this is a stupid idea. It's not going anywhere. I don't see the vision behind it. Yeah. And so, yeah, when you're ready, just let us know and we'll come get you. But I couldn't do that because my wife said not to do that. You know, that's super biblical, right? Like all these weirdos, like the Noahs, like, all right, back to work, working on my boat. <laughs> all right, <laughs> Noah, you crazy man. Yeah, I don't uh, yeah. know if I can compare that to my <laughs> my thing. It's very different, but um, same yeah, idea. I, I same idea. Of just like the 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 there's the, it makes no damn sense. Yeah, from a humanistic point the of reason. view. From, yeah. yeah, there's logically speaking, it's the field of dreams. It's basically field of dreams, right? And it and there's there's no reason other than there's there's conviction and the fact that your wife did support you is obviously paramount, but it. Uh, must be a huge, you know, that must have brought you guys a lot closer together. And yeah. Um, so that's, that's know, cool. One thing okay. I didn't mention is uh, that I did this thing with chains. So I, I arrived in, I sent my bike over to Virginia and the day of the event, Austin's waiting for me. He slept in the hotel. Like we shared a room cause we're getting, getting the bike all prepared and he's yeah. getting his video stuff all prepared. And I'm like, this needs something else. Like this isn't it yet. And so I took a cab to Home Depot and got chains and um, hooked them to my bike. And it was coast to coast in chains. And so I didn't know that the chains part would be a thing until the morning of the event, like the start, like day one. And the chains, the cool thing is, is that by the carabiners that hooked the chains to my bike by day 21, those chains, the carabiners had worn away and the chains released. So actually I have some of the chains right here. Ooh, oh. historical. Yeah, so you can see, I don't know if you can tell in this video because we're on Zoom, but there is lots of wear and tear on here. But yeah. what broke free was the carabiner. The carabiner was a weaker metal. And so, yeah, it was chain free by, the, by day 21. And so that was cool. It was, there was a lot of uh, symbolism there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. And then, so you made it, obviously. You listened, you followed your wife's advice. Uh, 
And then what was waiting for you on the other end of this of this journey? First of all, how did you even get home? How did cool, you get home? <laughs> the coolest part was when you said what's waiting for me on the other end, my family. Oh, That's, wow. Yeah. So I think on average, it probably takes, you know, if someone's going to ride their bike across the United States, which happens a lot, it's a common thing, maybe more common than some people might know. It probably takes about 90 days. Like someone will usually take about 80 to 90 days to do it. So 56 mm-hmm. is, you know, on the, a little bit faster. And the reason why is because I was, wasn't spending time doing tourism. Like I wasn't out there sure. to see the country. I was out there to get to the other side of the country and get back to my family. Yeah. Um, and so when you asked what was waiting on the other side, like my family, and that's what this was all about. Um, when I, when you asked, I, at some point you've asked, um, what was the motivation behind it? You know, what was the conviction? Yeah. And for me, when my parents or her parents were like, why are you doing this? Stay home with your family and, and be with them. Um, my honest thought, and maybe it was my honest thought was like, well, people go to war and they, when someone's in the military, they have to leave their family to go to war. And I'm not, I'm not trying to compare myself to a veteran, right? Sure, I'm not sure. doing that because I have so much respect for veterans who leave and fight for country. Um, yeah. But I would, I just thought like, okay, if, if there's a reason to do that, my reason for doing this, for leaving my family for 56 days was to build awareness in hope that it can provide hope for other families and for our family to be closer, to work things out when, when possible. Um, and so my family on the other side, I met my wife. She met me in San Francisco when we, la- we rode the last mile together oh, to the Golden Gate so Bridge. Cool. And so th- that's a moment of bliss. And, um, I'm a firm believer that moments of bliss are not free. And so we definitely had to pay a price for that moment of bliss. Absolutely. That's, that's really cool. And then, um, finally fight the new drugs started taking note, obviously, because they, I mean, I saw that video because they were really heavily promoting it. They were obviously very proud of you and what you had accomplished. So you got their attention. Yeah. Did that happen? Along the way, uh, where they became more and more, you know, observant of you, and uh, yeah. how did that happen? Yeah, exactly. That, that's exactly what happened. It was uh, the relationship just grew organically. I was like, I'm going to do this. Um, I would love to promote fight the new drug in this way. And after the after the event, um, the CEO of Fight the New Drug, the founder he reached out to me and he's like, Hey, we would love to do a video on your experience. And I had documented a lot of it because that was the whole purpose was to build awareness in some way. So I was like, here you go. Here's all the footage that I have. You guys can definitely use this and I'm going to go find a job and <laughs> you guys can, uh, you take all this and, and utilize it and hopefully it does some good. And they started using that video that you're referencing in their live presentations at like junior highs and high schools. In colleges. And then he reached out to me and he's like, Hey, we would like you to present your own experience and do some presentations for us. So that's when I first kind of got hired by Fight the New Drug to present. And so I started presenting and, you know, I really enjoyed it and Mm. it was, it was rewarding. Um, but it wasn't the most convenient thing. I put the goal to never deny a, um, an opportunity to speak. And so I had to take on jobs to support my family that were very flexible. And so it was just a wild time in our life for, you know, 
probably two years where I was working three jobs and I would travel for fight the new drug a lot. So fast forward to today and I've had the opportunity to speak to over 150 audiences in like 20 states and three countries, you know? Wow. So That's cool. yeah, I mean, it's a, it's been a wild ride and it's been, it's been very cool. And now it's even cooler, right? With the podcast, because that, 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 took some time obviously the the right ingredients had to be there because you know there's no lack of need or desire right but it, it obviously just wasn't the right time until you know you came along and then the whole team and, and all that so now you have this amazing podcast so how how was that like how was forming that was it kind of a lot of planning or did you guys just say we got to do this and you just made it happen quick or how how did that come about I think the the Clay, the founder of Fight the New Drug, one of the founders of Fight the New Drug, and the executive director here, Natalie, um, they wanted to do a podcast, but the, the timing just wasn't right. Um, but yeah, about two years ago, they came to me as I was presenting, and they're like, hey, there's an opportunity to start a podcast. Would you be interested in helping out with that? And my first response was like, yeah, I'm down to help out, but you got to know that it's probably going to be a slow start because I have no clue how to podcast. And so, yeah, I was very upfront and I, I didn't know, we didn't know exactly how this was going to work out. And so we did some um, brainstorming sessions and we figured out a name and we decided on that and we decided on this and a concept and what it was. And then... Yeah, it's it is what it is today. And we're yeah, we're just grateful, you know. I there's so many people that are talking about this around the world. Um great organizations, great individuals who are trying to do their part. And so we're just we feel fortunate to be one of those groups that's trying to do their part and we feel so grateful for all of our fighters around the world because that's what it's all about. Absolutely. Giving them Giving them power, right? Letting them plug into to the energy that you guys have, which is very needed, right? Because that fight is like, it's definitely, you're swimming upstream still culturally, right? You're just getting lambasted left and right. And I'd like to hear that too, like, because actually the last, the only time I really got to spend time with Clay, he spoke at uh, our event that we held in Las Vegas three years ago or so. And I was just like, you know, kind of praising him, praising his work. It's like, you guys are the coolest. I was totally nerding out, by the way. I was like, you guys are the coolest. <laughs> you know, I turned into a fanboy and he's like, yeah, well, not everybody would agree. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, we have a lot of haters. I'm like, no, not you guys. You have such a nice, you know, uh, you know, jacket and shirt combination. How could anybody dislike you? Uh and then, yeah, it turns out there's there's a there's quite a few people who uh, dislike this conversation and don't want it to happen and don't want it to happen sincerely. They just kind of want to crap on, on on this kind of conversation. So I'd love to hear about that too because you've obviously garnered some attention. You had some, you know, Terry Crews on. You had Lamar Odom on. You know, some big names, right? So with big names come a lot of eyeballs and ear holes and. Uh, and quickly soon after the trolls are always hiding behind a bush with uh, a bunch of, you know, blow darts. So how has that been? Both sides. I'd love to hear both sides of like, you know, some of the, some of the wonderful stories that, you know, launching a podcast and he, he being heard by so many people, but also the backlash that comes with that. Yeah. I don't, 
You don't have to dwell on anything that if it's... No, I was just going to say it's tough to talk about the negative because I just don't pay attention to it. I know that it exists. I try not to pay attention to it. I should say that. I know that it exists and we we try to put out content knowing that there are haters so that yeah. we put out content that is kind of hater proof, right? <laughs> yeah. Like we, we focus on science facts and personal accounts. Um, but of course there's going to be haters. And, but the reality is, is that we we're okay with that. You know, I understand that um, everyone has the freedom to choose, you know, we all get to choose what we do in this life. And, um, and so I respect them. You know, that's fine. If, if they decide to do that, then that's their freedom of choice. So uh, that, that helps me. And um, one of my favorite quotes that kind of came to mind as you asked this question was that a man, or I guess I should say, because it's not gender specific, uh, a person convinced against their will is of the same opinion still. And so I'm really not trying to convince anyone of anything. Sure. And we at Fight the New Drug aren't doing that either. We're just presenting, we're just, we're in research, we are a research aggregate and um, we are just allowing people to consider these things and hopefully they can make an educated decision. There's no convincing. Um, so yeah. yeah. No, I, I completely agree. And it's, it's in many ways just allowing people to hear the other side of the story, right? So that they can choose and make an informed decision because it's a very lopsided conversation where one's like a scream and one's a whisper. So you're allowing that whisper to kind of be amplified a bit. And that's, that's huge because you guys do have access to people and people need to hear that, you know? Um, Cause again, a lot of people are just like you, like you in your story that you just told, you just didn't even know. You didn't know what you didn't know until you sat down in that room and you got some information and how did that change the trajectory of your entire life? So it's extremely valuable. Um, I just, I just, the reason I bring up haters is not to feed that kind of gossip side of us that, right. that likes to watch, you know, people fighting in the streets, but more just to allow people the opportunity to know that whenever you're going to do something and stand up for something that is feels deeply true to you, you're always going to get backlash on all levels, just like you experienced on a very personal level when you decided to ride a bike across the country that family and friends were like, Hey, give up, stop being crazy, this kind of thing. Um, that that's part of this journey is when you, when you, when you're seeking after truth and especially as it pertains to sexuality, there's so much misinformation that, that it's easy to get bitten by, you know, haters, snakes, vipers, whatever. And, and it's easy to kind of give up on your journey. But, um, I, I just like hearing from you because you, you're going with a lot of conviction and fight the new drug is not slowing down. And I love that about you guys. Cause I know you haven't slowed down and I'm sure there was a lot of temptation. I, you know, I've seen, I've seen some of the stuff out there, so it's, it's awesome. And I just yeah. want to congratulate you on that, you know? Yeah. Well, I always say that, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of endurance events and I think that the <laughs> most, uh, the most, like the most powerful or the most, the most challenging endurance event is life. And um, I'm not saying that I have things figured out. Sure, I am not sure. saying that my wife and I have a perfect relationship, but I can most definitely say that our relationship is better today than it was before. And I thought it was a great relationship then, even though there was that deceit. Um, 
but yeah, so I'm not saying I have the answers. I'm I'm trying to endure through this thing as well, you know. Got it. So, um, in regards to the haters, it's just like, of course they're they're going to be there, and you know, I I honestly just have some empathy for them, and not saying that I'm above them either, right? Sure, 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 sure. But I just think that oftentimes, if because of our human nature, I'd say that if someone's hating, I think they probably lack understanding. And lack some empathy and um, lack a little bit of knowledge on this topic. So that's when I, when I say I have empathy for him, that's why. I hear you, bro. I hear you. So, I mean, you, you already touched on it um, in terms of the endurance uh, and that life is, you got to play the long game. Um, But other than that, do you have any advice that you would give? So we have, like I said, we have parents who listen to this. Uh, um, it depends on the episode, you know. I had I, there's one episode where oh, we got a lot of feedback from the like the the gamut, the spectrum, because it was my wife talking about depression and that that impacted our sex life and it, it impacted everything. And it was because of postpartum stuff, right? So yeah, we have a lot of different types of people listening, right? But um, given that, <laughs> do you have any? any advice that you'd like to impart um, to help people based on like you're interviewing some, you know, some people who've been through their journeys um, dealing with pornography. Uh, Is there any, any wisdom that you've gleaned that you could pass off to, to our folks? Any Um, advice? Yeah. I think that the truth is like going back to those three things, deceit, resentment, and arrogance. If you can be on your deathbed, without those things, then I think you're going to be in a good spot. And so whatever it is that's creating resentment, arrogance, or deceit in your life or in your relationships, try to eliminate that, whatever that might be. And um, I think that when you do that, you'll be at peace. You'll be more present in the current time and uh, more at peace when, you know, we are all going to die someday. So I'm not trying to get depressing here or talk about the speak for the yourself, doom, buddy. doom and gloom. <laughs> but uh, I always think about that, you know, memento mori is uh, remember you're going to die. And um, that if you can, sometimes when I'm going through a tough time or when I feel my arrogance starting to rise, putting my, yeah, then I remember that I'm going to die someday. Do I want to enjoy this moment or do I want to submit to anger or frustration? You know, it's okay to feel anger. It's it's okay to feel frustration, but it can also get to unhealthy levels. Mm. And so um, for me, remembering those three things and avoiding those through thoughts, words, and actions, um, it really has helped me. Yeah. That's sound advice. Yeah. I like it. Because that's really, uh, that's like what fuels this whole industry, right? This arrogance. We were, we interviewed this guy about human trafficking and he said the two main things that fuel trafficking are, um, uh, oh my God. Is it power? Uh, one was entitlement okay. on the side and the other is uh, vulnerability or like a lack of protection. So like that we're not protecting people enough, the vulnerable people. Yeah. And we, we also feel entitled to take from them because we feel like we can buy them, right? So that falls under the same kind of classification of arrogance, right? Yeah. That, um, yeah, these things can be avoided and porn feeds this in you for sure. Yeah. Uh, and you can, you can observe that in yourself that 
you are definitely more pumped up with negative stuff when you're participating and watching, um, you know, this substantiated kind of hatred and misogyny and all that. So, you know, what's interesting is since I've walked away from pornography um, over the years, you know, I have realized like, it's just, I just don't want to turn back to pornography. Like I don't really ever have a desire. I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm, free and in the clear and that I never have that desire or that I've got it figured out and I have this perfect plan that you should come and follow me and you're going to get free of pornography too. Sure. Um, I'm not saying that, but just in general, I do not want to consume pornography anymore, um, which is a pretty cool place for me to be in. And um, it's kind of interesting because like some people are like, what's the difference between, you know, porn and real physical intimacy? Mm. and um connection and and sexuality like real sexuality with another the partner and i kind of imagine it or i kind of so as i think about that one example i can give is like either you're able to go on a hike or you're able to go on google and look at pictures of the peak <laughs> like which yeah. one's more fun you know i'm a person there are some people out there who are not going to go on a hike they're going to prefer just to go on Google and look at a picture of the peak, sure. you know, but I'm a person who enjoys the hike and enjoys going out and hiking and, and enjoying the, the peak is, is a great place to be, but the entire hike is great as well. And that's what makes the peak even better is the fact that you had to go through the hike. Yeah. I mean, it's a and, great analogy. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So that, and then another analogy that I've had recently that I thought of is like, imagine going to buy a car and you the car looks great the they're advertising the car like it's the best thing the gas mileage the look all the features and then you get into test drive the car and it only takes you backwards right like are you going to buy that car and i think that that's what happens with pornography sometimes it's like it's advertised as like this great there's it's harmless it's cool it's natural and the reality is once you get in that vehicle and you test drive it, whether it's sometimes it takes a long time to realize that it's taking you backwards and there is no, there's no forward. It's just, it only has a reverse. Yeah. And that's the way that I kind of explain what pornography did for me was there was this instant gratification, right? You see this new car, you're like, dang, I want that new car. It's nice. And then after a while test driving it, you finally realize that you can only go in reverse. You can only go backwards. And so for me, it's like, I, I just value so much the relationship that I have with my wife today. Sure. And we didn't have to experience that time where I was going in reverse and s- slowly and not even real realizing it. And um, now we've thrown that car away and we've purchased a vehicle that can actually put us in the right direction. Um, that so will yeah, take you to the peak. Of, yeah, It'll exactly. take you to the peak of the mountain. It can take us to the peak. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> Yeah. I actually proposed to my wife on top of a mountain here locally. And we just hiked that. We're celebrating 10 years of marriage and we hiked that together recently. And we, I proposed on top and we just celebrated 10 years on top of the mountain together. And you know, there's a lot of symbolism there because the hike is, you know, it's not an easy hike and you get some cuts and bruises and you, uh, you trip and fall a couple of times during that hike. And, um, there's times where you're like, man, I can't go anymore. And then you get some nutrients in. You're like, okay, I can go a little bit more. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's all these, there's so much symbolism there. And I just got to say, like, I just want to encourage 
everyone in the world. Like if you are a person who has um, deceit right now in your relationship or you're deceiving yourself, or I just encourage you to tell the truth and work through it. There is no easy way. There's no, there's no quick fix, but it's all part of the hike. Yeah. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate the wisdom. And uh, there's a lot of gold nuggets in this, in, in this interview, because you're, you're somebody who, it sounds like you're a man of action who, who has intuition and who trusts his gut. Uh, and you've let that lead you back out of the mess, right? Um, through all these different, you know, very big, you know, acts like going across the country, but also the smaller acts like lying in bed and not going to sleep, you know, allowing yourself to have that conversation. So that yeah. if you guys get, uh, the, these metaphors are great, but also, What's more more impressive to me is that he's he's a man on a journey, and he's like you said he's not perfect, but he's willing to go out on a limb and try to do the right thing. And I think that will always, in the long run, put you in the right place. So, and you know what's even better yeah. than like the coast to coast or the thirty and thirty? Um, even better than that is just when a when a caregiver talks to their kid about the harmful effects of pornography. Yeah, that act is more important than 30 and 30 or coast to coast or anything. That's the whole purpose of fight the new drug. The reason why fight the new drug exists, the reason why all these other organizations, the reason why you guys exist is to start conversations. That's the goal. That's the most important thing there is. And so um, whether it's starting a conversation because you're a caregiver and you want to talk to your kid or because you are being deceptive and you want to talk to your spouse or you're a spouse and you want to talk to your husband or wife about potential use and consumption, whatever it is, um, I think it does come down to love. And I think it does come down to a connection. And um, my projects, the 30 and 30 and coast to coast, honestly, they're just, it's nonsense. They're nonsense, but they've, they've served a purpose. And the, the real goal there is the connection and love and, and fight. So. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for, for bringing it back there. Because that's absolutely, you know, the, the old saying of uh, the opposite of addiction is connection. And so that's what we're, we're hoping. Yeah, so thank you. Thank you so much for, uh, for taking this time to be with us. And uh, you're Can gonna, I give a tip to, our, to the caregivers? You can absolutely do whatever you want at this point. You, got, you, ha- you had me at hello, mister. So the example I want to give to the caregivers is... Uh, that so i want you to follow my instructions um i'm going to say a statement right now i want you to follow my instructions to a t and if you don't then you're going to be in trouble like it's, it's a problem you have to follow my instructions so close your eyes and don't picture the mona lisa do not picture the mona lisa don't picture the mona lisa don't picture the mona lisa don't picture the mona lisa what are you picturing right now andrew Mona Lisa, you the Mona Lisa, right? <laughs> and so I think that as you go into these conversations, um, I would just highly recommend not coming into a conversation with don't, don't, don't. Um, because I think that just like we all learned, as someone says, don't picture an elephant or don't picture the Mona Lisa, our tendency is to picture that thing. And so as we go and talk to people in our lives, not only, I think there, there needs to be the right approach. And I think that the, for sure, the unhealthy approach is always don't, don't, don't. 
Sure. Um, another thing, if I can give one more example, because I'm a dad, you're a dad. How many kids do you have, Andrew? Trace. Yeah, me too. Nice. So my youngest is two and a half right now, and he's probably our most durable and most wild, right? So he's just <laughs> running around always and bouncing off the walls, and we're trying to control him, you know, and, and uh, tame him down a little bit. But just recently, he grabbed a knife off the kitchen counter, and uh, like a kitchen knife. And so I had a decision to make at that time. It was, do I get scared and freak out, or do I stay calm? And try to approach him like in a playful way and then take the knife. And so the way that this can relate to talking about the harmful effects of pornography is that we shouldn't come into it with fear as as challenging that is as that is. Because as a parent, when I saw my kid with the knife, I was like, no, I want to protect you. But I had to stay calm to protect him in that moment. And so I just want to encourage the caregivers to stay calm. I want to encourage as much as we can, everyone involved in both parties, the yeah, it's a tough thing because I'm not saying that there's not also a place for anger. Um, but I think the key is be slow to anger. And yeah. um, in most cases, calmness is going to be more healthy. So um, I just, yeah, those things are really important because if I look back on my childhood, if my parents came and talked to me about pornography, I would have lied to them a hundred times, probably. I don't think I would have been open with them. And maybe on the the hundred and first conversation, maybe at that point I would have opened up. Um, but sure. if they were angry or intimidated me in any way, I don't know that I ever would have opened up. So um, just just know that as you're going to these conversations, as tough as it is to try to keep those things in mind. Awesome. Yeah, I like it. Um, yeah, Mona Lisa is still in my head, by the way. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> For sure. yeah we, uh, we appreciate that. Um, it's It's really a skill set, learning how to talk about stuff. And it's can't do too much in one conversation. It's that's what we try to talk about too is play the long game in terms of the sex yeah. conversation. It should be an enjoyable experience for everybody. Takes time though. Like yep. dancing, nobody's good on the first lesson. So yeah, again, man, I, I just appreciate it. Um I sought you out. I don't seek many people out. We you know, uh, but I, I really wanted to get you on this podcast and I'm so glad I did. Um I think there's a lot of stuff that people are gonna take away from this. And I, I just kind of blurted it out to a few people here and there, and they were really excited to hear you. So uh, anyway, I'm just so yeah, glad no, we could we, plug into your wisdom and your Yeah, experience. it was great. It was really fun to talk to you. You guys are doing great things. And um, we feel fortunate that you did reach out. So thank you for making that happen. Yeah. Awesome. Well, so uh, what, is the, what is the name of the podcast and where can people find you? Um, the name of the podcast is Consider Before Consuming. And you can find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Um, you can find us at Fight the New Drug, fightthenewdrug.org. And we're on all of the social media platforms. Um, so you can find us there. And um, I also love to connect with people, me on a, on a personal level. So you guys can definitely um, find me on Instagram at Garrett Johnson um, or other places. So yeah, it's all about connection. And we at Fight the New Drug, we... Yeah, we love that connection. So come find us and, and join us in this in this movement. Awesome. Thank you so much, Garrett. Yeah, it was great, Andrew. Hello, everybody. Andrew Love here. And I just wanted to add one more point. High Noon is a nonprofit organization, and we are run by donations. And although we've been doing okay, thanks to the massive generosity of our founders, the Wolfenbergers, 
We want to expand higher, 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 higher. We want to make a global impact. We want to reach every family. We want to change the culture. And for that to happen, we're going to need a lot of volunteers and a lot of staff. That's just the reality. It takes money to travel. It takes money to do a lot of the things we do. And we want to let you be a part of this growth. And so what we've created is a donors club, which is a $10 a month club. And when you join, you get a t-shirt mailed to your door. You can get some exclusive content. And we also have some really good goodies for our tribe of people who are part of the donors club that we're going to talk about in the coming months. So I just wanted to invite you to be one of these people. Everybody can afford $10 a month. It's just a matter of whether it's a priority. So if you feel High Noon has impacted you positively or your family or somebody you know, please consider donating. I don't want you to give any money unless you really, really want to. But if you do want to, I encourage you to really, really donate. So $10 a month is, I don't know, a cat a month. I don't know how to measure it. It's a giant hamburger and french fries a month that you can sacrifice in order to help this world become a more habitable, more enjoyable, more connected, more loving place. So please consider joining our Donors Club. It's just $10 a month. We look forward to seeing you on the inside of our secret society for donors. Have a good day, everybody.